This is part one of my conversation with the writer Hannah Noble. This is Magical Humans, and I am Vanya Vananina. I am an artist and creativity expert, and I'm on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Hannah, thank you so much for being here. I love having you in Magical Humans. You are such a magical human, and I want to ask you all of the questions. Thank you. We met under magical circumstances, so I am so grateful to be here. <laughs> That's right. You are so good with words, and you're so witty and magical that I'm just, this is going to be a treat, not only for the audience, but for me. I'm really excited. <laughs> Thank you. Would you please share in what magical circumstances we met? Yes, I think one of the most magical places in the world to make <laughs> friends is the women's bathroom. Uh, I mean, how many times do you pump strangers up in the women's bathroom? Yep. And we found each other in the women's bathroom of an event thrown by Ellen Bennett of Headley and Bennett, which is an apron company here in LA. And I was wearing a blue jumpsuit, I believe, and you complimented it and we just started chatting in the bathroom and really hit it off. Yeah. And then we met again by chance in Portland. Yes. Yes. I was in an art, like an arts and crafts pop-up for the holidays. I had just gone through a crazy breakup and went there and didn't tell anybody that I was there because I didn't want to interact with people. And then I heard your voice behind me and I turned around and you were there. <laughs> so magical. So, so magical. So magical. <laughs> well, let's see. You are a writer, a fabulous storyteller, a copywriter, a human rainbow because you dress <laughs> so colorful. And you're an adventure seeker and world traveler. Every time I check on your stories, you're somewhere. You just told me that you were like Dallas and Vegas and now you're in L.A., but you were traveling. Like what's going on with your life right now? Yes, all that is true. And I want to tell you that I'm wearing rainbows right now. Yay! What's going on in my life? I think like my life is segmented into these three parts and I call them words, play and wordplay. And you're right. I write. I do a lot of play stuff, facilitating experiences for adults to have fun and play as adults as if they were kids again. And then a lot of wordplay stuff, stuff with puns. And I've been traveling in the last month all over the country running kind of scavenger hunt like games for adults. And it's taken me to where in the last couple of weeks, San Diego and San Francisco and Colorado and Las Vegas and all over the place, which has been really fun. <laughs> it sounds super fun. Yeah. Like super fun. As you were talking, I imagined you, you know, because you do uh, improv and then you did like a striptease that is backwards where you That's like right. <laughs> start with little clothes and then you put on, you end up like Joey at Thanksgiving with all the clothes in the world for charity. <laughs> and then you were, I remember you were like surfing on um ball pit like you do all of these amazing things and that in you know I want to tell this is like a, the truest honest most purest compliment every time I see your stories or the the adventures that you're uh, taking on I don't feel FOMO you know how social media can make us 
feel like shit. You're like, yes. oh, I don't have this life. I'm not doing that. Every time I see what you're doing, I just feel joy. You have a such zest for life that I feel happy for you. And I'm like, yay, go Hannah. You're always doing all these things. And it makes me feel great. So Thank I feel you. in this digital era where social media anxiety and shame and FOMO is a big thing. I think that is a big thing. I mean, that, that speaks volumes of your authenticity. Yeah. When I was growing up, my dad, my dad's really, really fun. He worked way too much, but when he wasn't working, he had a lot of fun. And he would always tell us, my brother and I, that the most important thing is to be having fun basically and have as much fun as possible. And I try to do that. And I think, and I hope I don't come off as a jerk when I'm sharing these things because I'm sharing them because they're real. And I really am doing a weird thing, like taking a meeting in a ball pit that was in my backyard for years. I lived in a house with a giant ball pit in the backyard and I would take meetings in there. And <laughs> I'm always like trying to figure out the way to have the most fun possible and try to rope other people into that fun, sometimes against their will when they don't want to do the weird thing with you gotta me. do what you gotta do <laughs> yeah so I'm always up for an adventure and, and I say yes to as much as I can sometimes to the point of burning myself out and being exhausted but I just am like if something weird comes up and someone invites me to something that I've never done before like last week I was in Colorado and I ran into some friends and they said do you want to come to a music festival with us four hours away I said, yeah, yeah, why not? I have nothing else going on. Well, I don't fly out till Monday morning at 6 a.m. Can you get me back by that time? <laughs> That's amazing. See, this is what I'm talking about. It's so genuine and authentic. You know, I, you're not doing it for the gram. You're not like, oh, let's pose like this. Let's pose like that. It's just, ah, it's pure joy. And honestly, human to human, I am very grateful for you and, and for that test of life and, and because of your dad's teachings. And yes, let's be having fun all of the time. Yeah. And we're, it's such a privilege to be in a position to be able to have so much fun and create so much fun. And I know not everyone is. So I'm so grateful that my life is filled with so much color and humor and silliness and bizarre circumstances that let me connect with people in bathrooms and airports <laughs> and all over the place. And I'll basically talk to anybody who will, who has a pulse. <laughs> so yes. I get to meet all sorts of people. <laughs> I think that is great. So Hannah, did you go to college? Did you study for something? Do you have formal education for having fun? <laughs> Childhood, I think, is the formal education for having fun, maybe. But in college, I studied international affairs and anthropology and then also added on journalism. And before I even stepped foot on campus, I had changed my major twice. I have a problem making decisions. It's a nightmare to choose a restaurant with me. But I ended up graduating with those things. And I, right after school, I worked for a kid's cooking magazine that I started working for in college called Chop Chop. Chop but Chop. I, yeah, I know. It's, it's the best. I've been working for them for almost 10 years now. And I went to school in Boston, which was great, except if you've ever been to Boston, the temperature is horrible. So a couple of months after I graduated, my roommate's boyfriend found me crying and hugging a store employee in Walgreens. What? And it was the third pharmacy I'd gone to to go find a hot water bottle for my bed. And it was the day before the election of 2012. 
And I just was so cold that I cracked. I couldn't find the hot water bottle. I quit my job the next day. And a couple of weeks later, I moved to Hawaii where I had some friends from summer camp growing up. I always went to summer camp growing up. And they were running an outdoor education center and summer camp year-round center in, on the North Shore of Oahu. And they let me move there. And I got to be outside every day. And I was warm. And I never, I maybe wore pants one day. <laughs> I wore shorts every day. <laughs> I wore flip-flops. I fell in love with the surfer. The whole, I did the whole thing. And then after a year, I was kind of done. I wasn't intellectually stimulated. I was ready to go back to the mainland. But then I got a job working at my childhood summer camp as the assistant director, which was my dream. And I got to assistant direct both a girls camp and a boys camp. I got to be assistant to two different directors. And this and, was in Hawaii? No, this was now I moved back to uh, where near where I grew up in the Philadelphia area. But oh, I, was okay. in, I was living in a little log cabin in the woods by myself. But then mm. the surfer came back <laughs> with me. <laughs> he moved back. He lived with me for a while. And then I realized I still hated the cold and a weird series of events, a breakup with that. And then I took on a project for the USDA, writing cooking curriculum through Chop Chop. And that brought me to LA for what was supposed to be a week. And that was New Year's Eve of 2014 going into 2015. And I never went back. I still was in LA, went to San Francisco, found this community of people who are running adult summer camps. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought I can both be a writer and help run summer camps. I kind of figured it out. I thought I'd cracked the code at 24 and I figured out a perfect life. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. I know one else has figured this out. I have, I have balance. Yes. <laughs> but so I got to go in the woods for multiple weeks and turn my phone off for weeks at a time and go into the woods and run adult summer camps with these amazing group of, it was like being in a traveling circus. We did it in Northern California and Texas and New York. And it was incredible. And then because I was freelance writing then, I got to put all of my clients on hold while I went and did this amazing thing. So I got to both write, which I love doing, and then get to go play in the woods and help other people play. And that kind of put me on this interesting trajectory to have both in my life of writing and getting to choose clients, though, you know, that makes freelancing sound a lot easier than it actually is. <laughs> and then, <laughs> Um, getting to do a lot of work, not on a screen and helping adults play and helping to run things like pun competitions and summer camps and all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. See, this is what I'm talking about. You're all about having fun. And that is, that is the way that is the life. I don't know. I'm, I'm in a big shift in my life. And I feel that I'm familiar with this because I'm unlearning a lot of things that I learned when I was a kid and in school and, you know, like being a proper person in the world and da da da. And it's like, who said that? You know, like who, who says that we cannot just be having fun all of the time? Yeah. You get to choose what kind of adult you want to be. And I think it's an incredible realization that like my parents, my parents met working on wall street. My grandparents worked on Wall Street. My aunts and uncles worked on Wall Street. And that's kind of the adult that I grew up with. And I was like, they wear suits to work and like get dressed up and talk about numbers, you know? And I don't understand the stock market one bit. I, it sounds fake to me. I don't know how to get it. And once I like realized that I could choose to be the kind of adult that wears sparkles out in public and 
goes to summer camp and is bad at singing but takes musical improv classes and that's what I do on a Thursday night. It's been so liberating. And am I ever going to retire? I don't know, but I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, Hannah, this is so inspirational. Yes, 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 yes to doing all the fun things and living life. I just, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the good stuff, the meat, and I'm already like floating in this magical bliss. <laughs> Okay, so college, then after college, summer camps. And then if I remember correctly, the surfer has an interesting play out in your life, correct? He does. Yeah, he was still living in Hawaii when I was on the East Coast with the expectation and promise that he was going to come back. And he did. And when we were living in Hawaii, we used to, we spent a lot of time together. We used to bike around. It was very romantic and picturesque time on the beach. And we used to bike into town and go get burritos at this breakfast place called Konos. And they had this logo that was a pig on a surfboard. And he would always say, oh, if you got the, well, if you got the logo on your body as a tattoo, you would get 25% off. And he would always joke about getting this tattoo. And I'm pro tattoo. I'm pro decorating your temple, but I am not I'm totally on board for getting logos, $80 tattoo to get like a $250 off your burrito, you know? (laughs) Um, So when he came back, he came back on my birthday in April, like five months after we'd parted, after I'd moved. And he shows up and didn't say anything. But when you have, I don't know if you know this, when you have a new tattoo, it's raised so you can feel it. Yeah. And I felt it before I saw it, which was so horrifying. I, I just knew there was something I didn't want to see under that oh, raised bump. And he had gotten the tattoo on his butt. And he had the ROI return on investment was one time he bought a burrito and got the 25% off. And he'd spent like 80 something dollars on this tattoo. Oh, no. And I mean, there were multiple, many reasons. We didn't break up just because of that tattoo, but <laughs> I was like, what is this? And I cried myself to sleep and then furiously Googled Groupons for tattoo removal. And I don't know, in hindsight, was that the best protocol to try to get someone to remove something that they like? I don't know. But we're never perfect in our relationship. Yeah, but you know, this is this is humanness. This is relationships. Like yeah. shitty tattoos in butts and then crying yourself to sleep. Yes. Yeah, he just got married like three weeks ago. So I guess his now wife likes it, which is so great. Oh my you know, God. Everybody finds their person. Like <laughs> She likes it maybe, or she looks at it. And may I one day find somebody who deals with whatever invisible tattoo that I have, my weird thing, you know? Well, there you go. In this beautiful, fun lifestyle that you live, what has been the hardest lesson to learn? That rest is okay. It's really hard. I grew up in a home with neurotic East Coast parents who my dad worked a ton. He missed he missed my college graduation, which was a really hard thing for me. And my mom missed it too because she went with him to work and it was very traumatic for me. But they were she he was constantly working and my mom worked a lot, but then she stopped working. But even then, we were in a house of people that really took naps. And even not until I got older, do I remember us really sitting down and watching a lot of movies, like multiple in a row and just kind of chilling. We were always on the go. 
And only in the last couple of years have I really granted myself permission that it's okay to have pajama days and nap. And I think that's also a testament to the men that I've dated who are much more low-key than me, who reminds me to slow down. And mm. all of them have contributed to that in some way. And I just have a lot of guilt still sometimes when I feel like I'm not being productive. But then I notice when I burn out that all hell breaks loose and then I just cry in grocery stores if they're out of my favorite product. So I got to rein it in a little bit and rest. So if I now just being able to sit in sweatpants all day and chill is huge leaps and bounds from what I was raised as. I feel you. Rest and, and taking time to do things, it's the best. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if you identify with this, but I feel like if you identify with this in your art. But as a creative, when I'm working on a piece or something, it has to breathe for a while. Like I have to walk away from it and then come back to it. Otherwise, it just feels like it's suffocated. And I, for years, would procrastinate. I mean, I still do. But I would try to get everything out and then just send it off and not give myself any time to like take mm. a break from it and come back. But things are so much better when you do that now. So I try to remind myself, I can go for the walk or I can do the thing because it's actually part of the process in the same way that actually procrastinating is part of my process, I think, because I keep doing it and it actually, it does help me, but I have to get away from it and go outside or do something else or zone out and then I can, it makes me better at all of my crafts. That makes so much sense. I mean, with ceramics, I was basically forced to do so because you can't just finish a piece from beginning to end in one sitting right. because it has to dry. You have to fire it once, then you have to glaze it, then you have to fire it again. So there is sometimes weeks in between. And that forced me to, you know, come back and, and have a different perspective and not be rushed to just finish and be productive and be like, done, I did it. But now that I think of it, like as you were talking, I do that. Yeah, with my I ha I've had paintings that had been sitting unfinished for years. And then years later, I see it and I'm like, oh, okay, this is what it's missing. And I paint it and then it feels good. Right. So I, I relate to that. And speaking of creativity, I think this is going to be a hard question because I think that everything you do is creative. But what is the most creative thing you've ever done? Ooh, that is a hard question. You know what? The most creative thing I've done isn't like one thing. It's something I'm learning to do right now. It's called musical improv and it's regular improv. So making stories and things up on the spot on stage with other people. But then now there's this element of there's a piano player there and they start playing at some point during the set. And then you have to make up a song as you go. And it is mind-blowingly hard It's so hard, but it makes you have to think so quickly and create literally something out of nothing on this train that is going and not going to stop because the song is not going to stop. Even when you do spoken improv, you can take a break and breathe for a second. But when If you're you, when singing, exactly, you just have you can't to go. Stop. Right, the chorus is coming, the verse is coming, the bridge is coming, but it makes me think in way about things. Things come out of my mouth that I never would have thought were in my brain before. And I'm pretty good. I'm not great yet. I'm learning. And I, until about a year and a half ago, I would have never voluntarily been on stage. So I'm just proud of myself for doing it. But it's 
one of the most creative processes I've ever been a part of is doing this thing. And then it goes away, which is, it's like the mandala art, you know, that monks do. Mm. They Mm -hmm. make this beautiful thing and then it's gone. And to me as a kid, my dad told me about this and it was so frustrating that you would work on something and then it goes away. And now I make these things all the time that are never seen again. And I can never really tell anyone about because I can't remember them or they're not that fun out of context, you know? Oh, yeah, it makes sense. And you have to let it go. You have to, you let, have it go. to let it go in the moment, like because as you're making things up, but also when it's done and you and you go off stage, you let it go. Right. That sounds like a great exercise. If it goes well, it's still gone. If it goes horribly, it's still gone. Mm. Like you can only beat yourself up for so long about how badly it went or applaud yourself for how well it went for so long. And then it's it's still gone. (laughs) Okay, seriously, after we're done recording this episode, I'm going to look up uh, musical improv in Portland. Hopefully there's someone that does it. If not, I'll just sign up for regular improv. It sounds super cool. Yeah, it gets you out of your head. And I am not a good singer. I mean, I was in the chorus concert in elementary school. I, my ex-boyfriend was a musician. He tells me I'm not tone deaf, but I mean, I'm not great by any means. I don't know. I don't know anything about my range. I assume I'm an alto. I don't know, but it's just about expressing yourself in this way that's uncomfortable and hard for everyone. Mm. If someone asks you, what is your profession? How would you describe it? Now I would say I'm a writer, but that's pretty recent in the last couple of years. For years, I was saying, oh, people have me write things. I write things for people. And I would never say the word writer because it felt, it felt like pompous to say writer. And it felt like I wasn't good enough to say writer, even though I was making most of my money by writing. And then a friend, Jordan, said to me, well, what do you write down on a doctor form or on your taxes when it says occupation? And I said, well, I write freelance writer. And he said, well, it sounds to me like if you're making money from writing, that you're a writer. You're a writer, Hannah. You are a writer. I know. It's mind-blowing. It just felt like those were huge shoes to fill. For me, it just took a while to, I don't know, I was like overly humble or something or like self-conscious about my skill and but everybody makes bad stuff for a while. As a writer, what is a common myth or misconception of your field of work? Ooh, um, that it's easy. (laughs) Um, What else? I think that people think it's kind of more glamorous than it is. I think like the impression we get in media, movies, whatever about writers is that they're like these kind of glamorous, tortured artists in a way. And some like, there's a lot of perceptions of writers being dark in media, mm-hmm. and I'm not. I'm, I like to write about really fun, light stuff. So no, I wouldn't say it's dark. It's also not easy, and I think people think that someone says to you, "Okay, write 500 words about kombucha or something," and then you just sit down and do it. But there's so much pre-work and research. It's like when you're a writer, you're also a researcher, no matter what you're writing. Even if you're writing something about yourself, right? You have to just research and go back into your memory base of all these things that have contributed to this story. Like when I write a story about myself, I, it takes a long time to think about all the things that led up to that story. So it's not just, you're not just a writer. Also, if you're a freelancer, people don't really know that you also have to be a business person. You have to do your own 
tax stuff and invoicing and there's so much non-glamorous stuff that goes into freelancing. What are some specific roadblocks you've encountered as a writer or as a creative, really? Yeah, I have an extreme stage fright problem. And what? No, I know. Hannah, yeah. you're always I in know. front of audiences. I know. Well, this is part of my exposure therapy, which I'm also doing with the color yellow right now. <laughs> okay. So I, this is why I started taking improv classes about a year and a half ago, because I officiated a friend's wedding and I paced around for hours and hours and hours and it went great, but it just was so debilitating, the stage fright. And then two more friends asked me to officiate their wedding and I thought I have to do something. So I signed up for these improv classes and it's like just now it's like a ball that starts rolling and gets bigger and bigger. Now it's just, I'm constantly being asked to do things on stage and it's been really hard, but it's been helpful because I'm, it's not as debilitating anymore. I don't wake up in the morning panicking about being on stage. It's like in the last 15 minutes before I go on stage, that's like my panic type. So at least it's short in the window a little bit, but that's been really hard because people assume because I'm, pretty extroverted a lot of the time and will talk to anybody that I like being on stage. So will offer me opportunities to be on stage thinking that I really like it. And I try to say yes to as many things as I can in my life. So I say yes. And then I have to deal with like the emotional repercussions of doing the thing. Uh, but I find that I'm doing a lot more storytelling. Like I have a show tomorrow that I'm doing And I really like doing it, but the challenge to the fact that I like doing it now is that I have to deal with the fear, which is like an interesting cycle. But I've talked to so many people who are on stage constantly, musicians and speakers who also have told me that will never go away. It's just something that you have to deal with, which I don't know. I was hoping that I would just disappear. <laughs> day, but if anything, you know, it's just, again, so inspiring to see you tackle You know what they say, like the only way out is through. And like, if you run away from your fears, they'll become bigger, like an avalanche or a snowball. But if you run towards them, they'll run away. So it just, I mean, I'm out of words to, because I i wouldn't have guessed that you had stage fright and you're always, I feel like you're always on stages and speaking to audiences. And this is, Amazing. Thank you for being so vulnerable by doing so. And again, by sharing it, because a lot of sometimes we don't share our struggles and people think like, oh, you're so brave because you did that. But then people don't know the backstory that you're actually fucking scared yeah. or or, you know, it's it's you're healing a traumatic experience or things like that. So thank you for being vulnerable twice every oh. time you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to share. I'm scared of so many things. <laughs> uh, yes. You know, it's, it's part of a human experience. As a creative, what is your favorite tool or resource? Public radio. Is that a, like, that's a, probably a strange answer. You But mean like I, NPR? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I like my childhood crush is Ira Glass. I love NPR. <laughs> I lo love it. Like I say their names with them on the radio and And they're like, I'm Lakshmi Singh. I'll say it with them. Like, they, I think they're my friends. But I find a lot of inspiration and listen. There's people 
who are on NPR are so incredibly talented and they ask amazing questions that I would never think to ask, especially someone like Terry Gross. And after I listen to a Terry Gross interview, I leave and I think like that's how I want to more communicate with the world and the people that I ask questions. And that's how I want to share information. And I also am inspired to read more books. And whenever I listen to NPR or go to like a public radio event like The Moth or something like Pop-Up Magazine, I'm so inspired that people are so real and vulnerable on on that platform. And I just feel invigorated. And I also feel smarter after I listen to public radio. It was just a big part of my life. My dad used to have it in the car. And I grew up with WHYY. And now I am, I'm addicted to membership. So now I'm a supporter of two KPCC and KCRW because I can't say no to the member drive. But it's just because <laughs> I think they put so much out there. And if I need to zone out, I'll put on music because I can't zone out to public radio. But if I want to just feel inspired and try to think of new ideas or way, better ways to ask questions, then I put on public radio. Okay. Number one, they should hire you. I know. I know. I, I think- mean, Hannah, you belong in public radio. Seriously. <laughs> your wits, voice- your storytelling, <laughs> magic. And, and the way you feel things and that you metabolize them and then put them out in the world. It's so beautiful. Like I'm not, I mean, I'm a fan in the way that I also feel very smart when I listen to Ira Glass <laughs> or like public radio. And I think they always um, ask really tough questions that need to be asked. And, and I feel you on that. I am not a huge fan as you are in the way that, you know, I breathe and live for them. But I admire them so much for what they've created. And Hannah, you need, have you reached out to them and be like, this is how I feel about you? I've, I've applied to a couple of jobs at public radio. I recently got into like a final round of, the, of a job for Marketplace, which is Kai Rizdahl, my finance crush. <laughs> Um, and it hasn't worked out yet. And I think, I think if I had to imagine and like create like a dream that somehow I'll end up with public radio one day. I met Ira Glass after a breakup, actually. What? Briefly, briefly. After, wait, after, a, after he had a breakup or you had a breakup? No, but I think he did get divorced. So he's single, which is horrible for me to be excited about. But after my breakup, <laughs> after my breakup How? in... Tell when, me about this meeting. How? Why? When? Um, I was. When was this? I was. This was after I broke up with the um, the guy with the butt tattoo, which sounds okay. like a, a worse version of the girl with the dragon which, tattoo. Wait, which <laughs> the the X rated <laughs> the boy yeah. with the butt tattoo? Yeah. And if I'm if I'm correct, you share that story on the moth. Right? I did. Yeah, okay. I got. I did it on the moth grand slam in. April. Yeah. So I had just gone through that breakup or was going through it. And at the time we were possibly going to live together. So I didn't really know where I was going to move right before I moved to California. And I was just kind of staying with friends and different family. And I went back home to Philadelphia because my dad got tickets to a talk that Ira Glass was giving. And I said, of course, I'll go see him. And he gave this beautiful talk. And during it, somebody had asked him what book he was really loving right now. And he said, actually, I just read a really great young adult novel called How We Broke Up or Why We Broke Up. And I gasped and I was like, oh my God. And he was like, everybody should read it. It's really beautiful. 
And I thought, Ira Glass is talking to me, even though he wasn't. But afterwards, I went up to go meet him and he was being carried away. I just looked at him and said, thank you. Like, we didn't really interact, but it felt like I was like, thank you. And he didn't know what I was thanking him for, but I was thanking him for this tool that was going to get me through my breakup. And then I read the book. I got it at like the Union Square, Barnes and Nobles in New York, like two days later. And I read the whole thing and I cried. And it was this beautiful book and it felt like, does this sound totally insane that I felt like Ira Glass sent me this book to help me get through my breakup? No, and I'm, I'm getting a chills because I felt that way in, uh, in, in concerts and conferences when I feel like they're speaking to me, like to me in this moment, what I'm going through. I mean, they don't know about me. They don't know what I'm going through. But I feel like when someone changes your life for a second I and you feel so seen that you feel like you're one with the universe so yeah. I you're not crazy this is beautiful yeah maybe one day I'll get to meet Terry Gross and she can give me wisdom one day I'll come calling it in universe yes let's manifest it yes my conversation with Hannah was so full of insights and funny bits and anecdotes and stories that this is a two-part episode. Stay tuned for part two next week. 